Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the international affairs, foreign policy, and global development community, and world news aficionados of all stripes. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. The president of El Salvador is a political phenomenon. Naib Bukele was elected in 2019 as a 37-year-old third-party candidate. He has a hipster's disposition, his trademark outfit is a backwards hat with jeans, and like millions of other millennials, he lives his life on Instagram for all to see. Bukele is wildly popular within El Salvador. His approval ratings are typically north of 90%, and his tenure so far has coincided with a sharp drop in gang-related violence and homicides that have long plagued El Salvador. Bukele is also very much an authoritarian. During his time in office, El Salvador has experienced significant democratic backsliding, He has targeted independent media and is undermining checks and balances against his rule. On May 1st, after his party won a supermajority in the legislature, he moved to oust a number of judges deemed insufficiently loyal. This prompted international rebuke, including from the United States. On the line to help explain the rise of Naib Bukele and the demise of democratic checks and balances in El Salvador is Frida Gitis. She is a world affairs analyst and columnist for World Politics Review, a contributing columnist to the Washington Post, and a regular contributor to CNN Opinion. We kick off discussing the sudden rise of Bukele in Salvadorian politics before entering into a discussion about the implications of his authoritarian tendencies. So just one note before we start, today's episode is born out of a listener's recommendation. I always appreciate hearing your suggestions of topics I should cover or people I should interview, so please do keep them coming. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me a note using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I read all of your notes. I respond to all of them. And thank you uh, for your suggestion, dear listener, of today's episode. For now, here is my conversation with Frida Gitas. Yeah, uh, Bukele was, has an unusual background for somebody who has reached such uh, heights of power. He, uh, he dropped out of college and uh, worked in his family's uh, public relations business. And then he, he decided to, to try his hand at politics. He ran for mayor of, uh, of a small town um, near the capital. And then he ran for the capital of, of El Salvador, San Salvador, which is you know, it's by far the largest city in the country. Uh, he was a part of the, of the leftist uh, party, the FMLN, and uh, he fell out with them and ended up getting expelled, which may have been by design. Uh, and then he ran basically without a party. He ran for president. And what he did is that he just basically upended the, the structure of power, the structure of politics in El Salvador. The country had been dominated by a leftist party and a rightist party that were the, the heirs to the, to the combatants of the, the civil war during the, during the Cold War. So by, by getting elected outside of that 
that dual structure, he really turned everything upside down. And, and we've seen what hap- what's happened since then. And it's maybe worth pointing out that part of his appeal is, is that he has this kind of brash personality. Uh, he's been described, and I think accurately so, as like a hipster millennial president. You know, he wears he has a ponytail, his like, you know, signature backwards hat, wears jeans everywhere, is something of like an unusual sight in Latin American politics. It is an absolutely unusual site. And, and you know, he, he is very good at uh, social media. He, he, you can entertain yourself if you're not horrified at times reading his, his Twitter feed. You know, he issues orders. It's a little bit Trumpian, but a little more, uh, uh, let's say, maybe not quite as, as insulting as, as Trump was. But he, he rules from Twitter and he built his support in large part. And, uh, via Twitter, he uh, he created a new form of populism in in Central America. And you know w- what I have to say, I think one of the biggest lessons from from what we're seeing with Bukele is that a the ground is set for a populist, for an authoritarian populist, when the environment is so rife with corruption. You know, Bukele is is a good marketing. Uh, expert. You know, he he is a branding, uh, he has a talent for branding. He has branded himself. He broke with what existed before. And now everybody recognizes, you know, the beard, the backwards cap, the, you know, the leather jacket uh, and his his Twitter feed. He enters, he, you know, it's basically his his cape. You know, he comes across as the as the savior, as, as the hero uh, and and flies in to a place that has been basically destroyed by the existing uh, power structure. So they have made it, they have opened the way for for someone like him to take power. And it just shows how dangerous corruption is, how dangerous it is when you just cannot trust the established parties. So he becomes president in 2019 in this kind of stunning upset that upends Salvadorian politics. What are some of his early moves as president that might presage uh, what he would later kind of do and, and try to consolidate power? So he he came into office basically without a party. He attached himself to a smaller party so that he had a place to put his name on the ballot, but he didn't have a a meaningful presence in the legislature. So what he did is he took to Twitter right away and he started issuing orders. And the orders, if you're you're a Salvadorian who has been living in the middle middle of all this corruption uh, of the nepotism that has been so transparent, you see these orders where he's he goes on Twitter and he says it is hereby ordered that the the ministry of thus and such removes such and such a person who was who was named only because she is a relative of the previous president and she he starts doing things like that and then he says I have received an order for uh, for you know a new coffee maker no you don't need a coffee maker bring your own coffee. You know, he starts saying things like that. And, you know, the Salvadorans know that there is graft everywhere. Uh, and and the sight of this man who is not wearing a suit and tie, who looks like he's just rolling up his sleeves and getting to work to save the country money, it starts catching their attention. And it starts it, it starts uh, making, making uh, some waves. 
And the, the people who are being addressed in this tweet say, yes, sir, Mr. President. And things start happening. Other things start happening also. Uh, suddenly he's replacing the people in the national uh, media, you know, the national television and radio organizations suddenly are being replaced with loyalists. Uh, the, and, and then another thing that starts happening is that is really, really crucial is that, that the crime rate, the, the murder rate that in fact had already been declining before he took office continues to go down at a pretty rapid clip. So if you're a poor Salvadorian, uh, this looks really good. And what we have is a president whose approval rating is now somewhere around 90%, you know, by far the highest in the region, one of the highest in the world. And as time passes, Bukele is massing power and he is he's taking the taking the power away from anyone who might challenge him. And for the public, this is not really a source of concern. Yeah, well, as you just said, he is wildly popular. You know, the the data I saw suggested that he regularly reaches over ninety percent approval ratings in like scientific polling. Uh, this is this is these are not like internet polls. He really is wildly popular in uh, El Salvador. And you know, as you said earlier, it's partly due to the fact that homicides and crimes associated with gang violence precipitously declined since he took office. Do you have a sense of, of how or why that is? Well, there, you know, it, this has happened before. Uh, a previous president made a deal with the gangs uh, where they, he, he, he loosened some of their, some of the restrictions on gang members and gang chiefs in prison in exchange for a a slowdown in the murders in, around this around the country uh, there is a lot of talk that Bukele has done something along those lines uh, you know the, the murder rate was already declining and the pandemic shut everything down so we don't know how durable this is but there is no question that the that the murder rate has dropped a lot and uh you know, the other thing that has dropped a lot is the the um, respect for democracy the, in, in, in El Salvador. The people of El Salvador do not care about democracy, understandably, because democracy did not work very well for them before Bukele came to power. So this spring, we saw what appears to be like a classic example of democratic backsliding in which Bukele's party won overwhelmingly in legislative elections, giving him near total control of government. What has resulted from the fact that his party now has overwhelming control of the legislature? Yeah, so when he was elected, uh, you know, the, the legislative elections are, are staggered and the last, the, the legislature that just that was just replaced had been elected before he ran. So his first couple of years, he did not have much of a representation in the in the uh, legislature. In February, they had legislative elections, and his party is called Nuevas Ideas, New Ideas, uh, won a supermajority, two thirds of the seats. As soon as it took office, as soon as it as it uh, was sworn in on May first, the first thing that the uh, the assembly did was remove the all the members of the Supreme Court's constitutional chamber, all of them. Uh, the, the, the judges immediately 
ruled that that vote was unconstitutional. But that vote, you know, their, their, their opinion did not count. They were replaced quickly, swiftly by new magistrates that came escorted by armed guard. Uh, the, and then the attorney general was also removed. So these people who were removed had been the last bastion of, uh, of, of check on Bukele's power. They had, you know, the, the attorney general was investigating corruption inside the Bukele administration. The, uh, the magistrates in the Supreme Court had criticized them uh, in another one of the most dramatic moments in his, in his administration, which came last February, a year ago in February, when uh, the, the assembly was going to vote on a, a, something that he had requested, some a, a borrowing power they were, that was being discussed. And they, he was concerned, Bukele was concerned that they weren't going to go along with him. So something really extraordinary happened. Bukele broke into the legislature with, with armed uh, soldiers. And uh, he personally sat in the chair of the president of the, of the assembly. Uh, it was really a, a, a horrifying uh, affront to democracy. I've and seen that, those videos and, and the images of Bukele there with armed guards in the middle of uh, this legislative session, um, very obviously intending to influence and harass and intimidate the legislators to vote for his budget increase. Exactly. And at that time, the Supreme Court ordered the president to refrain from using the military for what it called activities contrary to established constitutional ends. So they, they were calling him on these things. Uh, they, were, they were speaking out against his authoritarian moves. Uh, he didn't like that. The Supreme Court also uh, challenged some of his very draconian uh, measures on the pandemic. So they were getting in his way. They were getting in his way and he got rid of them. So this decision to remove the judges and the attorney general led to some widespread international condemnation, including from the United States. Uh, this all happened, I believe, May 1st. So right. fairly recently from when we are speaking now. Can you just describe how the United States responded, how other countries in the region and around the world responded to this uh, you know, ostensibly very undemocratic move? Yeah, well, you know, it wasn't just the United States and other other uh, countries. Human Rights Watch has has called uh, Bukele's actions an assault on democracy, and the, the head of Human Rights Watch for for the Americas says that Bukele is behaving exactly as Chavez did. That he is he is on on a path to tyranny, and he said the way where we stand now, uh, the people of El Salvador have absolutely no recourse right now once they this once they realize what's happened and and. He is saying, you know, this is uh, Miguel Vivanco from Human Rights Watch saying that it's really up to the international community now to try to figure out a way to, to slow down this march toward tyranny. Uh, the United States responded very, very swiftly. Uh, there, were, there were communications via social media and other means. Uh, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris tweeted about you know, deep concern about events in El Salvador. Uh, the State Department's head of uh, Western Hemisphere Affairs also said, you know, she had already warned that what she said, the, the foundation of democracy rests on an independent judiciary. And without an independent judiciary, she said, democracy cannot live. And then Secretary of State Anthony Blinken phoned Bukele 
And according to the official readout from, from Blinken, uh, he expressed his grave concern over what's been happening uh, and noted, and now this is this point is very, very important. He said that in the readout, uh, Blinken noted that the Biden administration is prepared to spend billions of dollars to improve conditions, uh, but improving conditions will includes reinforcing democratic institution. And, and, and he added the separation of power, uh, free press and, and civil society. So the, the United States is essentially threatening Bukele, saying, if you continue on this path, there is a big pot of money to help Central America, to help the, you know, the Northern Triangle countries that, that send the largest share of migrants to the United States, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador. If Bukele continues on this path, this money, it may not bypass El Salvador, but it's going to bypass him. Hmm. But so far, that doesn't seem to have swayed or influenced his decision-making. Yeah, he responded. He said, you know, mind your own business. But, you know, your own business for the United States is how do they spend the $4 billion that that uh, Biden has promised to spend to improve conditions in Central America? So, you know, that is the United States business because, you know, because Salvadorians are are, are leaving their country to come to the United States. And the United if the United States wants to spend a lot of money uh, to improve conditions there, it has a right to decide how it does it. And the, I think what's going to happen is that the money is going to go to uh, to NGOs. But, you know, there's a big problem, and it's that Bukele is, is insanely popular in, in El Salvador. Mm-hmm. People really, really love him. And, you know, we've seen these, we've seen these, these transitory passions for, for autocrats before, and we've seen them in that region. Yeah, I suppose the United States risks undermining its own sort of standing and views among the Salvadorian population uh, if it like condemns their popular leader too too hard. Yeah, you know it's it's a difficult uh, it's it's a difficult needle to thread, mm-hmm. but uh, but it it could do it. Uh, you know, it, it has to speak gently and to some degree, but effectively. Uh, but in the end, you know, Salvador needs money. You know, the, the other the other element in the equation these days is China. Mm-hmm. You know, if El Salvador is if El Salvador becomes an antagonist to the United States, and uh, the United States is waving a lot of money for change, uh, you know, Bukele could look at China, which would and be more than happy to help. And he visited China fairly he recently, did. did he not? He did. Like this was a very transparent uh, display of potential like uh, leverage. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting to see how all these, you know, no, no politics is completely local anymore. You know, immigration is the, the most domestic and international uh, topic of all. And uh, what's, what's happening in, in, in the border along the border of the United States and Mexico is domestic politics in the United States and in El Salvador, and it influences the behavior of China uh, and you know Washington and and the entire region. So it's a very interconnected world, and you know you have one guy with his backwards baseball cap on his head, uh, delivering bags of beans and rice to people during a pandemic and building up his support at home, uh, and and those actions boosting his standing and uh, having reverberations that reach across the oceans all the way around the world. 
So it's also my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you know part of the reason of his popularity is that he is sort of robustly spending on on social welfare and and other programs, which is you know driving a huge debt burden on El Salvador. Um, and, you know, I saw that their you know their their uh, debt uh, compared to GDP was just like kind of enormous. And again, that seems to be like a potential ticking time bomb if there's anything uh, that might threaten or um, undermine his his um, popularity or his rule. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. You know, it's a problem that is not unique to El Salvador. You know, we've seen what's happening in Colombia. Where you know the government also went, you know, the, the went into a huge fiscal deficit, uh, partly because of the pandemic, you know, with the economy shrinking. And when when the government government started talking about raising taxes, we have a social explosion. Of course, there are a lot of different factors in each country, but uh, this is going to be a problem across the region. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how Bukele navigates that. You know, for now he is. He is just pushing ahead. Uh, this, this, his, he has a reservoir of goodwill with the public. So that that's a huge advantage that the president of Colombia didn't have. He was very, very unpopular when he proposed higher taxes. Bukele is very popular. So he and he is he has silenced his critics. So he has the the ability to to shape the narrative almost completely. Very few people are, are questioning him or doubting him. So uh, he'll be able to navigate this and to, to shape the reaction uh, more than almost any, any uh, elected leader right now. Lastly, in the coming weeks or months, are there any inflection points coming up that you would point listeners to that you know might suggest to you how things will will play out in El Salvador in terms of you know further democratic backsliding you know are there any events elections or, or anything that you might point to that will kind of be key moments of of inflection well you know he he was elected for a 5 year term so he's still got a lot of time before uh before that happens um you know i i would not be surprised at all if we see the legislature talk about rewriting the constitution you know that is the that is the traditional path for uh, cementing an autocracy in Latin America and really around the world these days. It's the you know the, the, the Chavez method. We saw it in many many countries where he may we, we may see something like in Nicaragua with the with Daniel Ortega where the presidency just never ends. Uh, but you know in the near future you know and we also just had a legislative election. So both of those elections are you know are far away. Um, I think maybe the the what we should keep an eye on is is what happens with with uh, Washington with the U.S. aid to Central America. That's a lot of money. Four billion dollars is a is a huge amount of money uh, in the region that where the countries are very small and very poor. So uh, I would keep an eye on that and uh, and just watch watch his approval ratings. Watch what happens. With, with the economy um, as the as the pandemic restrictions eventually start to be eased and there's a sense of normalcy. Let's see what happens with, with the crime rate when the pandemic restrictions start being uh, being opened up. And let's keep an eye out on an eye on his uh, ties with China. Uh, well, Frida, thank you so much. This was very helpful. Okay, thank you very much for having me. 
All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Frida Gitas. Thank you to the listener who suggested this topic for an episode of the podcast. And as I said at the outset, please do get in touch with me if you have suggestions of topics that I should cover. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.